Hi, and welcome to Health, Wealth and the Pursuit of Happiness, a podcast that will empower you to live a more inspired life and find real freedom. Each episode, Mark Dale Mazer and Aries Jimenez discuss best life practices, covering topics ranging from health and well-being, to true wealth and our relationship to money, to understanding what real freedom and happiness really is. They provide tools and a system for helping you live a balanced, authentic life in complete harmony with your mind, body and soul. Welcome to episode 11, and it is on the topic near and dear to our heart, money. Money and our relationship to it. It's one of the big five. And when we're going to make a change so that we can really achieve our big vision and our true vision, our relationship and our whole deal in money, it's got to be addressed. It's important. It is. Yeah. It's not the most important thing, but it's definitely up there. Hence, the big five for us. Exactly. And so I think what we're going to do to open, Aries, per your suggestion, is let's do a little exploration around money, shall we? We shall. You know, I spent some time just thinking about the history of money. And currently right now, we have a monetary system where we use money, which is an object of value that we exchange for goods and services. But prior to that, it was a barter system, right? So if you go, I don't know how far back we need to go, but there wasn't this concept of money. It was, hey, you had those nice beaver skins or you had this or that, and I have... I have something else that you might be interested in and we would just trade, right? Exactly. We'd trade those things or we would maybe trade even services. Maybe you do me a favor because you're really good at doing this. Like maybe you're good at hunting and maybe I'm good at gathering. And if we're going to eat, you want to have, maybe you want to have nuts and vegetables and meat. You want a diversified diet. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's really where it came from. Uh, you know, one of the things that I know both you and I, Mark, we talked about is just this concept of money being neutral. Yes. Right. So there's this concept or people use uh, this phrase that's out of scripture, but it's actually wrong that the love of money is the root of all evil or money is the root of all evil where it's actually the love of money. Right. And so it really is what the energy, whether it's positive or negative, that we bring to our money relationship, which we'll get into as well. But money is really a tool that we all use to kind of get what we need. When I say what we need, I'm referring to food, shelter, clothing, and then as well as to what we want. And this day and age, I mean, there's so many, there's so many things out there that we could want, right? And so there's one comment that you made, Mark, that I want to dig into a little bit is you had mentioned that we give money too much credit and that it's not the most precious commodity, right? And that the most precious commodity that we have actually is time. You know, I would agree with that. Is there anything else that you want to kind of add or? Well, I would add that because as Dick Wagner would say, one of the, I think, founding fathers of life planning along with George Kinder, life planning as we know it, particularly in our industry, money skills are the survival skills of the 21st century is what Dick would say. And because of that, we have made money a major focus in our lives. I think that culturally, I think that because money is big business, the investing of money, the borrowing of money, 
it is just so woven into the fabric of our culture and being, particularly in the West. With affluence comes money. And with a raise and a rise in standard of living comes money. All, all these things are so much sort of tied to money. And we, unfortunately, for good or for bad, I think it just is what it is, have developed somewhat of an imbalance around money. There are clearly people that are not as imbalanced as others around money. But as a whole, I do think we put too much importance on money. And the problem with that, when you want to live the life you really want to live, money becomes a constraint. It becomes a challenge. It becomes a reason maybe not to live the way you want to live. And that is not right action. Because if you're being led and if your heart is leading you to lead a life in a particular way, but you don't see a monetary solution to allow you to live physically the way maybe you want to live or with a certain material standard that is important to you. But then they say, is it really important to you or is it more important how you're seen to others? There's just so much like all sort of wrapped up in that. So I take a step back and I look at people's behavior and I start with myself and I see how I behave and I see how I make decisions based on perceptions of myself and tying up my value with money value and on and on and on it goes. And the net of that is we end up really compromising how we live and we live with a lot of anxiety and we live without the level of freedom that I think is innately in us to live. And that's why we bring this up as one of the big five. It's probably the most complicated, it's probably the deepest, and it's probably the most, one of the most impactful subjects on how we live. And so Aries and I have talked about this topic a lot because we're actually in the money business. And we see people time and time again talk to us about what they really want to be doing and talk to us about who they really want to be and talk to us about the things that are really important to them. And we strikingly notice that they're not being who they want to be, not living the way they want to live. They're not doing it the way they want to really do it. And it's all because of money when you trace it back to its root cause for that behavior and that thinking. So it behooves us as people that really want everyone that we come in contact with to live their most inspired life we can't push this one under the rug. We got to bring it out and we got to talk about it. And we do talk about it with clients. And now we're going to talk about it with you, our listening audience of the podcast. You know, I was thinking one of the struggles I think in our society can be that most people kind of tie their net worth to their self-worth. Yeah. Right. And that shouldn't be the case. Right. Totally. But there are people out there that measure how successful they are and how well they're doing in life based off of the money that they have, the net worth. Money is definitely, it's such an important resource. It's something that we all deal with on a daily basis. Whether we realize it or not, all life decisions, small or large, typically have a financial component to it. So they are also money decisions. Whether you decide to go to Starbucks and you buy a coffee, that's a money decision. Or if you decide not to buy coffee and make a cup of coffee at home, I mean, that's a money decision too. There's a financial component to it. And so we use money to live a certain lifestyle, right? 
for every single one of us, it's a little bit different, but it's also the same, right? Like going back to there's there's certain basic needs that we need to be met. There's certain wants that we have. And so being in the money business and working with clients, one of the things that I've come to understand is it really doesn't matter how much money that you make, just realizing our behaviors around money. It's we all struggle with money one way or another. It just might look very different. And I think a lot of that has to do with with our relationship with money because we deal with people that have that have the net worth but it's still for whatever reason it's still very hard for them to they've accumulated and built wealth over their lives and then they've gotten to a certain place in retirement as an example where they have more than enough to live for the rest of their lives but still they they have that fear that they don't have enough money or that money will run out right so i mean there's it's just so interesting yeah, this relationship with money, it's so complicated and we could even make it more complicated for ourselves. We can, and we probably will. <laughs> but hopefully not in this podcast. In this podcast, we're going to try to bring some simplicity to the complexity of money, particularly as it relates to how we live. And one of the really, you touched on the relationship to money. A relationship to money is really, really important. And one of the exercises that we do as planners is that we um, often engage in conversation with our clients around their early money memories. Because like how we mature as human beings, we come into the world as children, we have these naive thoughts, we have sort of the mind of a child, which is much different than the mind of an adult. And that's because as we grow older and we have more experience and we mature, everything sort of shifts and changes with that. And one of the issues with money is it follows the same pattern. We have a very innocent and childlike view of money when we're very young. And many of us have early money memories. You and I have both shared what those are for each of us. And we may even get into that at some point in time in the podcast in terms of our own money memories. But I think what's important is the experiences that we have around money when we're very young and they could be experiences as subtle as you see money issues and money behavior played out with your parents or your grandparents. You yourself might have, as a 10-year-old, an experience with money. It could be positive, could be negative. For me, I grew up in a household in which money was taboo. There was no discussion around money. It was private. It was none of my business. Those were the exact words that my parents particularly my dad would tell me, it's none of my business. What we ate around the dinner table was all about money. I mean, it was just everything found its way. Comments about money, money doesn't grow on trees. Those money messages. Correct, yeah. All play a part in forming our very early beliefs around money. And like everything, when you learn as a child, you take into adulthood. And now the question becomes, are you behaving like a child when around money or are you behaving like an adult around money? So one really fantastic piece of work out there that can really help us understand this a little bit better is George Kinder's book, The Seven Stages of Money Maturity. And you'll find in the show notes a reference to this book and a link to buying it, but it has at its base and its foundation a great work to help the reader understand how we mature through money 
through the various stages of our life. And so he paints a picture of these seven stages of how we mature in money. And it's very similar to sort of like Maslow's pyramid in some sense. But it underscores both in his work as a planner and in our work as planners, and anybody that's in the business listening to this podcast will agree that everybody, certainly every human being that we interact with has some clear behavioral pattern with money that can be traced back to their childhood, both positive and negative. And so it behooves us as individuals that are living responsible lives and wanting to live a life that is of big vision and true vision and a life that's inspired that we understand the role that money could be playing in holding us back and preventing us from living more freely and for valuing the things that are really important that go well beyond money. You know, one of the things I, as it relates to our own relationship with money, I think about a couple key components there. I think one of them is definitely our beliefs around money, right? And you touched on that. I think our beliefs around money also affect our habits. I think naturally we just have habits that we grew up with that's just over the course of our lives, we just dealt with money a certain way. And then there's this whole concept of having a a personality around money. And I bring that up because as we were preparing for this episode, I was listening to a couple other podcasts that touched on people's relationship with money. And the one that I came across that I, I thought was very interesting was, it was a podcast called Relationship Advice, episode 63. The title of that was Love and Money. And the guest speakers on that were a couple, both Scott and Bethany Palmer. And they are also in the financial services industry. Both of them are financial planners. But they created this tool, this assessment. And based off of their research, there are five main kind of money personalities that we all have. And the five are saver, spender, risk taker, security seeker, and flyer. And I'd encourage all of you to listen to that podcast episode because their whole thing is each of us have two primary or two personalities around money, a primary one and a secondary one. And that comes natural to us. From their point of view, it's something that we're just kind of born and it's just it's innate to us. And I think that's one of the reasons why each of us have a different relationship with money because we just we have different personalities around it. What caused them to really get into this work is that based off of our relationship with money, it does affect other things such as our relationship with people. In this particular case, they saw how they were working with clients and although they helped clients put in a plan and that those clients were working the plan, that ultimately some of these couples would get a divorce, right? And how often do we hear that money being one of the main reasons why, why people get a divorce? They just don't see eye to eye, right? When we take a step back from that, one thing we have to realize and be aware of is that we all do have these different personalities. We all do have different relationships with money. And just understanding that, that we're all different, and then getting to a point where we try to understand each other as it relates to it, I think is is very important. I think by us doing that, I think I, mean, I like to think that the divorce rate wouldn't be as high as it is now, which is, I think, one of the stats 
that they threw out there was 70% of all divorces cited money as the primary reason for breaking up. I mean, that to me is staggering. Yeah, really. And what that really just shines a light on is that, again, we're all uniquely different. We have a unique relationship with money, and it's important for us to understand what that relationship is for ourselves. And I would say only now am I starting to realize what that is for me in a more meaningful way. And I truly believe that's one of the reasons why I even got into the financial services industry and wanted to kind of study wealth and success is because money was something that I struggled with. I have my own struggles and and I'm sure all of our listeners do too, right? We all struggle with money in our own way. And I think a big part of that is with these different personalities, right? So I went in and I did it. I did the assessment and I came back as a spender and a security seeker. And so if that's naturally my personality around money, my biggest struggles have been probably being a saver, being a risk taker. And they use this term flyer. And I don't want to get into that because I don't want to kind of butcher what the actual definition is of that. But I'd encourage, obviously, our listeners to go in and figure that on their own. But I mean, those are other areas where I could struggle with money because my primary, my secondary personality is around spending and being a security seeker. Yeah. So I'm just curious, did you get into the definition of what a spender is in the context of this study? So you tested out as a spender. Yeah. What is a spender in this context? It's probably for me is when I was going through it, some of the questions that they ask is, do I value more quality versus quantity? I mean, you know, different things like that. I definitely believe that I'm a spender in the sense that if it relates to something that's important to me, I really don't think about money being a limiting factor. I'm like, yeah, let's go do it or, you know, I'm going to go purchase this because it's tied to something else that's important to me, right? It's easy for me to, you know, spend more freely versus somebody who's a saver. They actually feel really good about saving money. And when they put money into their savings account or they find great deals, it kind of gives them a, like a natural high. Like they feel really good about it. And I would say spending money for me is is what that is, right? So I just thought it's very interesting, just another tool that we could um that we could take to just better understand. How about the security seeker? The security seeker I think is all about kind of having a plan in place, kind of knowing where my money is going and managing and kinda of just knowing what my resources are, right? And not for me knowing how much things are, what the balances are, things like that. Having a system in place, those are things that are important to me, and I think those come out being a security seeker. Yeah, interesting. I'd like to take that uh, test as well to kind of see where I where I fall. And truthfully, probably be a good thing for both of our spouses to do as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have Mel do that. What about this kind of coming back to a relationship with money. I mean, if you were to describe your relationship with money, what would that look like? What would that sound like? I think I definitely have a better relationship with money now than I did before. And the reason I say that is once I graduated from college and you kind of go out in the working world and you know you actually start working for and earning money, I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. I think back to this kind of pain or innocence 
right? I just kind of went about things, made some poor choices, didn't make any wise decisions, just made some mistakes. And I think with any relationship, I think that's something that, that we all do, like whether it's, say, with our spouse as we, as Mel and I getting together and just getting to know each other, right? Like there's these conflicts, these internal conflicts or these challenges that you um, that you put yourself in that you have to work through. And so there was a lot of the decisions that I was making when I was in my early 20s that really was around, just revolved around money. And I did one, I spent more than than I was bringing in, right? And there's a point where I got into a good amount of credit card debt, things like that. I wasn't giving, where now my relationship's a lot better. I give a lot more, specifically to the church that, that I'm a member of. I spend less than I make. And so I have that margin where I feel like, you know, I'm putting money away towards savings. I am paying down some debts, which is great. But those were things that naturally I wasn't doing before. Like those money skills, they weren't natural for me. And so I made mistakes in some of those areas. And that's where I would say, like, regarding those five different personalities, I would say whatever our personality is regarding money, that ends up being our strength. And I think we bring value there. But those other areas that aren't part of our personalities, those could become weaknesses and things that, from my point of view, you need to bring somebody into the equation. Like, I think this is where, with our spouses, we tend to attract polar opposites. I think that's one of the reasons why we're attracted to somebody that views things a little bit differently than us. And I think it's good if we learn how to work together and we understand what our personalities are and our beliefs are around money, that could create a win-win situation where I could bring value and help <laughs> help someone not be so tight with money. As an example, if I was married to a saver, which I'm not, I would say I'd be interested to see what Mel comes back at because I would say both of us are probably spenders. I don't think she's necessarily a security seeker though. So I'd be interested to see what comes, what her two are. I think that's where also leveraging other professionals who could kind of fill in some of those gaps, you know, those blind spots, right? That's where it's important. Yeah. So I want to go back to your comment that you think that your relationship is better today with respect to money. So if you were to pinpoint one thing where it's better, how would you articulate it? And that's the first part of the question. And then how did you get better at it or better with it or however it's defined for you? So specifically because I was going through that difficult time and I was making these mistakes and I wasn't feeling good about kind of my money relationship, I specifically wanted to learn and kind of just educate myself. So I think that is definitely... How'd you do that? So I did that through my church. So when I was going through that difficult time, my church, they had this thing called the money study, which this was in the midst of the the financial crisis. People were losing their homes. People were losing their jobs. And the tagline was kind of getting back in black, right? So... If you're in the red, that means you're negative. If you're in the black, that means you're positive. So that caused me to, one, I never thought, like I'd read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
books like that that talked about wealth and money, but I never thought to to look to the Bible regarding just how to manage money. And so going through that study helped me a lot back to like my money beliefs, right? So one belief that made a huge change and impact for me was that the money I have really isn't mine. It's God's money. He just, I have it. He gives that to me to be a good steward towards it. And the better steward I am with it in terms of managing it and being more responsible, the more money I'll be blessed with having. And to me, that makes sense because if you're not responsible with something, right? Like, you know, back to this kind of parent-child relationship as an example, like if, you know, I have three boys, the oldest, Avery being seven, if I gave him money, say 20 bucks, and depending on what he did with it, let's just say he blew it and just bought candy, right? If he did that, in my eyes, I didn't see that as being responsible. Why would I continue to give him more than that? If he saved money and he used that money to kind of help other people because he saw other people had needs and he was being more responsible, he was being a better steward with it, then I think naturally I'd give him more so he could continue to do those good things. That's what really comes down to like having those those habits. I think naturally we build these habits over our our lifetimes, specifically growing up as it relates to money. And some of those habits are good. Some of them are bad. And it's just realizing the difference between the two. And so for me, that was that was a big paradigm shift for me regarding my beliefs. If it's my money, then I get to do whatever I want with it. That money is for me, for my benefit, is for me to spend on the things that I want, right? And if you have that mentality, I think it's very easy to to have a tight hold of that money. And so one of the things that that really helped me visualize what that what a better relationship looks like is instead of holding my money tight in my fist, is just opening up my hand and having God bless and put more money in my hand and then being open with that money too and doing good with it. And that through that, because I have my hand open, more money is, it's easier for money to flow into my hand, right? And so that was definitely one thing that helped me. And I think a big step, a practical step that I took was I started tithing and really understood what that was. And a lot of that, we throw out The saying, do you own money or does money own you? Tithing helped me with money not owning me. That was a big thing for me personally. And from there, slowly but surely, just started to build these healthier habits, such as one, spending less than you make, right? That just makes sense. And that with that, putting money away towards an emergency savings, right? Having kind of a a fund, you know, to cover things that come up because they do come up, emergencies do come up, and that helped create kind of the peace of mind for me, just things like that, yeah. You, I know, are somewhat familiar with the seven stages. Yes. If you had to put a number to your level of money maturity today in that context, what would that number or the range of numbers look like? So like one being the pain and two being the innocence and then going all the way up to vision and aloha, which is six and seven those of you that are listening that don't know that, the seven stages that are referenced in the book are the early stages of pain and innocence, which I believe are one and two, 
And then the three middle ones are pretty much knowledge, understanding, and then... Then it's vigor and vision, and then aloha is like the highest stage, right? And I think throughout life, we don't just stay at a particular stage. We go up and down the scale. But it could be in play at one time. Yeah. I would say I'm probably... I'm at knowledge and understanding still. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I think that's that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm really interested in understanding kind of my relationship with money and taking these assessments and so on and so forth and putting together a financial plan for myself and my wife. I would say I'm at knowledge and understanding. I'm not quite there yet with the vigor, you know, where I'm I'm bringing kind of that energy, that positive energy with my financial resources to live out the best and most inspiring life, right? I have a vision of what that looks like. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily there yet with the energy. I'm, I'm hoping to build up to get there soon. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing that. This is an important part of our work, and I wanted the audience to kind of hear a personal reference point to the work and a personal experience with the work. Because I think when we all begin to look inward and begin to really assess kind of where we are with money for us to progress and to mature. We need to really understand the context of this. And uh, you did a nice job articulating that. So thanks. It was, it was good for me to hear. It was, I think, very helpful for the audience. And we'll be getting a lot deeper into the subject in our season that is devoted to wealth. So very cool. What else we got here on the money subject exploration wise. Well, what about for you, Mark? I mean, we got to dig in a little bit and I got to share about my relationship with money, some of my struggles and kind of where different parts of the journey that I've been through. But how would you describe your relationship with money at this point? I would describe my relationship as middle of the road as well. I mean, on the seven stage scale, I'm probably somewhere between knowledge, understanding and moving into vigor. I have little pops of vigor sort of come out here and there. And my biggest thing to overcome was really a very negative upbringing around money. And one of my earliest money memories was a very painful, humiliating experience that was tied into my relationship with my dad. And when I shared this in the kinder program, one of my classmates was really intrigued with my this particular story, and when we had a follow-up towards the end of the um, Seven Stages two-day workshop, she asked me, have you ever asked your dad about that particular experience? And I said, interesting you say that because I never have, but I was really interested to do so. So shortly after that particular workshop, I did approach my dad, and I said, do you remember this one time? And kind of took him through the whole thing, and he got totally clueless, had no recollection of it whatsoever, but it laid an indelible impression on me and specifically around that money causes pain and the conversation around money especially causes pain is a super painful experience and thus subconsciously I took that into adulthood, but I recognized early on in my 20s that I had a certain something curiosity about how I was with money and I noticed other people with money. I got really curious about how some people made a lot of money like easily and I didn't. I didn't know why is that? 
Like, what's up with that? It's like some people kind of have that Midas touch, and some don't. And so that made me aware of sort of a discrepancy around money that I really wanted to learn about. And I do believe, a little bit like you, that that was one of the things that drew me to the money business, was that I wanted to kind of master it and learn it. And I thought, what better way than to just like dive into it as a career? Although my first, my first experience in it was really not so much the management of money or the budgeting of money or understanding money. It was really about life insurance. But you were buying money in a certain sense for your family. So it was a good starting place for me. And just being out in the world and just, again, seeing different people and how they behaved around money, different attitudes about money, and how they had different spending patterns around money. It's just really fascinating to me. And so really, probably one of the biggest breakthroughs for me with respect to money is that I really came to a place where I was able to understand not so much the mechanics of money or so much the energy around money, but that's a whole other topic, the energy around money. But what I came to understand was that I am what I am around money and it isn't my fault. And it's no one's fault. It's just kind of what I brought into the world and how the world around me shaped me around money. And the understanding is really all about simply understanding that, that there wasn't any one thing other than what you bring and then how I'm developed around money with my environment as a result of my environment. And so there was a real softening inwardly around money guilt and money frustration and this idea of what you brought up, which I think is really relevant, is how we value ourselves around money. And when I realized that a lot of that was, like I compare myself. Yep, the comparison trap. To other people with money. And I'd feel inferior. And I'd feel less of a person. And there was something deep within me that said, that isn't right. That's just friggin' money. Like, how am I? And yet, that's how I'm feeling. So again, reaching this level of understanding for me was, ah, this is what's going on. I'm tying these two things together. And these two things, that's an illusion. It's just a belief. I don't have to believe that anymore. I can disassociate from that belief because I also now realize that much of the belief was around that environment that I grew up in and the the money messages that were being sent out to me. So when I have now a deeper level of understanding, I slowly started to feel a release from all of these misconceptions and beliefs. And as I grew spiritually, I realized that, wow, I have a lot more of my control here than I'm really giving myself credit for. And so with the understanding, then came knowledge. Um, and I got deeper into the financial planning and the money management side of the business, which was both a learning experience because, again, I saw people with a lot of money that were struggling with the same things people that did not have a lot of money struggled with. And I thought, hmm, how interesting is that? Yeah. Or discovering 
certain attitudes from my peers whose parents either came out of the Depression or had some atrocious, difficult experience with money, and then they brought that into their own lives, even though they didn't go through it. They didn't live through the Depression. So there's all of that that just became very evident to me, and then I'd realize, wow, I have some control over this. And it really does just come down to, what am I believing here? Yeah. What is true for me? What are your thoughts? Correct. Around it. Correct, exactly. So you begin to deconstruct what those thoughts are and what's really true for me or what really, is that really true for me? And I discovered that much of it was not. And then I discovered really all of it was not. And that it's really a clear blank slate in front of me if I want to kind of reprogram my whole view and attitude and thoughts and beliefs around money. And then the other thing that was really key to me is looking at it more as an energy source, which kind of like knocked it out of the taboo subject matter. That's just energy. One of the things I did notice in my life is that the more money was moving, the better I was with it. When I started holding on to it or started worrying about it, the resulting experience with money was more negative. And so I loosened up about money and I really began sort of letting go of this idea of of lack because it seemed like no matter what trouble I got into with money, I always got out of it. I never ended up on the street. I never ended up homeless. I never ended up bankrupt. And truthfully, I I had some pretty dicey periods in my life where, uh, you know, I did worry about that. But the reality was, when I just continued to just push forward, it just all worked out for me. And I'm looking back, what I realized that's what was happening, is I, I always would reach a certain pain point where I couldn't stand it anymore, and then I just let it go. Because I couldn't do anything about it anyhow. It just kept going forward in a positive way to move money whether it was making more money, whether it was shifting money, whether it was spending, whatever it was, that seemed to work for me. And so now I find myself sort of in that kind of combination, knowledge, understanding, and vigor. Now I'm seeing money tied to my life plan and that the issue isn't what I make. The issue is how can I use that money for my life plan and what's really important in my life plan and all these other things are starting to go away. Let's take a look at that M3, which was on my fun to have in my heart's core grid. Latest heart's core grid, no M3. Not that it wouldn't be fun, but the value of having that status car plus having the muscle behind it, like what am I going to do with that muscle? (laughs) Okay, I don't live in Germany. I don't have an Autobahn. Okay, speed limits are 65 miles an hour. 75 at the most somewhere in parts of the country. I mean, what does that mean to an M3 driver? Nothing, nothing. Unless I'm going to take it out on a track somewhere and really allow that car to really perform in the way it's engineered and built. Why, why am I spending sixty to $70,000, $80,000? Like, and I have that anyhow. Wouldn't I rather put that into like my life's work? You know, give myself a cushion so I can do my life's work, whatever it is. So my whole shift in allocation of money has changed as well. And to me, that's like a vigor thing. It's a little bit of a vigor moving into vision, maybe, and then eventually having aloha. Now, as you were talking, I was thinking about with money, there's nothing wrong with wanting more of it. For sure. Right? It's just energy. But 
wanting more of it shouldn't be the primary focus. I think what what you're doing and and what I'm trying to do as well is okay with with the money that I do have, how do I make the most of that? Exactly. Right? So it's not thinking of having a lack of and therefore you needing more of it. It's being thankful and grateful and appreciative of what I do have and how do I make the best use of it, right? And for me, it was like tying to my heart's core, be, do, and have, as we've talked about in previous podcasts and episodes, is part of the planning work that we do to help people discover for themselves what really counts, what really matters, and how can every dollar support that? Yeah, and what really matters is that we are using our financial resources to live in a way that aligns with what we value most in life, whatever that might be. Whatever that is. Right. Like an example of that, and I know, Mark, we've talked about this, but what came out of the planning process for me and my life plan, you know, one of the things is how cool would it be to have have a boat to be able to fish, right? I really enjoy fishing. That's kind of my thing. That's my hobby. But having, having a boat for me was really about having an opportunity to take my boys out on the boat and I think about the father-son time and the memories we're going to have together and the fish that we're going to catch and just being out there on the water with them, but as well as bringing other people out, other friends and family, and just enjoying that experience with them and living in that moment with them. Because when I'm fishing, I feel like that's when I'm in the moment. I'm feeling kind of that air against my face and I feel I feel at peace. I'm in nature. And so that is what it's really about for me. And so if I don't ever get to a place where I'm able to buy a boat, I mean, to me, it's not the end of the world. I, I just need to focus on on those things that, that money can't buy. And is there is there another alternative, another way for me to make those experiences happen? And there is. And I'm doing that now. I mean, I'm going out on private charters, right? I don't have to own the boat. I'm going out with people that are more experienced and they're putting me on fish and or I could rent, I could rent a boat and go out and take my boys out. So there's there's other ways, but once you get really clear as what's important to you, then that's where kind of the problem solving skills kind of come in. I'm like, okay, how do I how do I make this happen? Well, are there other ways to do it? And it might not be exactly the way you envision it, but it's it's a start. It's a first step, right? To kind of get that vigor. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So where do we go from here on money? We've explored a lot of topics and a lot of thoughts around money. I would say a practical step, and I think going back to your quote, is money skills is the survivor skill of the 21st century. And it's true because we all deal with money on a daily basis. And so I would think about the skills that are necessary for you to, to live a life that is in alignment with what you value most, as well as taking an assessment and taking inventory on the current habits that we all have around money. And are those habits positive and or are they negative, right? Are they, are they serving you or are they not? And what does that look like? These skills that we're talking about, these habits deal with, you know, how we spend money. I would even say how we earn money too, right? So like based off of what you're doing with your work or your job, are you happy with what you're doing and how you're making your money? 
Is there something deep inside that's calling you to a different type of work, right? That financial component might be a concern of yours. Maybe you might not be making as much, right? To investing, that's one of one of the things that that I'm trying to work on is just taking more risks, calculated risks regarding money because in order for us to uh, get a return, there's a risk that you have to take too. That's something that myself personally, that I'm trying to work on that skill. Really thinking about how how do you allocate every single dollar that you're bringing in? This is where it goes back to like the most fundamental skill that you can have is a thing that you could do is put together a spending plan. What's coming in? What's going out? Are you positive or negative at the end of the month? And if you're negative, then, or whether you're negative or positive, the goal there is to create a bigger positive margin, right? So if you're negative, try to get that to a place where you're at least breaking even. And then if you're breaking even, get that to a place where you're able to to have 10, 20, 30%. And once you're able to do that, you use that money to save, to put money away, to kind of build up that that emergency fund to give you the peace of mind knowing if anything else if anything were to come up, you have the financial resources to take care of that. So that's saving and then as well as investing, right? So it's wise to put money away. So there's books out there like The Richest Man in Babylon, right? Just these fundamental things that that we need to do, these habits, these positive habits that we need to create, such as putting money away for the long term and investing that money and letting compounding interest work in your favor, right? Compounding interest is is all about making your money work. And so each year, the interest that you made on your money, that following year, that money that, that grew in terms of interest is also working for you, right? And so I know in our industry, we show different charts. If someone were to start saving $200 starting at the age of 18 every month and invested the result once they hit age 65 or ready to retire would be this amount compared to somebody who starts in their 30s the difference that is. And one of the things that I'll want to bring up, I'm reading a book right now called The Compounding Effect. And the book is all about the small incremental things that we do on a regular basis, whether it's daily, right? Monthly, as it relates to money. And you might not see results. The power of compounding is you don't really see the huge results until you're like at the end of that time frame it's a long time frame right so let's just say over the course of 10 years somebody who doesn't save versus someone that does you're not going to see a huge difference until the further out you go and then that money starts to grow exponentially and it's only at that point that you really are able to see the results that you're hoping for but you're not going to see them every day right it's those habits those things that we do that aren't like they're not sexy, right? They're more mundane. It's like, really? This is all I got to do? Like, But most people don't do it because they want to see results right away. You'll get the results. It's just, it's just a matter of time and just being patient enough. Time working in your favor. Yeah. 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 Cool. A couple closing thoughts on money. Money is important. It's not the most important thing but it is part of the big five and it's something that we all need to master 
and continue to grow. If if not master personally, because again, we all bring our own skills to the table, but finding other people, other professionals that can help fill those other blind spots for you, I think is important. Yeah, cool. And I would add to our listening audience that the importance of money in relation to your life plan and to get a real big vision and true vision to kind of bring the back into context of why we're talking about it is that most of us will need to make some kind of change in regards to money. We don't know what that'll be for you, but you need to be curious about what that might be for you. So if you're intrigued with sort of our life planning work and how it might really benefit you, then when you look at money, think about and be curious about and be curious about the awareness of how you behave with money. And is it in your highest best interest to behave the way you're behaving with money? How you're spending it, how you're saving it, how you're using it, and using it for what purposes? And for many of us, we'll go, yeah, that's like, I'm good with that, I'm good with this, whatever the case may be. But I think for most of us, there's always room for some level of improvement. Some will need to make more changes than others. But give yourself permission and be curious about it. And we'll be coming back at you with a lot more on this topic as we progress through uh, our health season and into our wealth season. And we look forward to sharing more, for sure. And so with that, we hope that this has been a beneficial podcast for you and we look forward to uh, revisiting and seeing you on the next episode some of the concepts and tools used in the process of helping you discover a more balanced and inspired life are provided by the kinder institute money quotient and the strategic coach these may be referenced throughout different episodes of the podcast and you can learn more about each of them in our show notes at hwph.org You can also find more information about the work Mark and Aries do at sandiegowealth.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and available directly via email with feedback, questions, and more at us at hwph.org. Thank you all for listening.